everyone, welcome to the Zelda Informer Podcast, episode number seven. That's pretty exciting. That's almost two months worth of episodes. Uh, this is the first 30-minute segment. Again, this is where we talk about news or select topics. We're going to get right going into that after I introduced my co-host, Mr. Alfred. That is that is me. I put on a pin that you can't see right now, but you'll of see course, it when you edit. Of course, of <laughs> course. Wow. <laughs> and then uh, we also have this week joining us once again, Mr. Kristen. Hello. Glad to be back. Glad to be here. All right. So the timer has started for this segment. And our first topic is kind of a little bit of an advertisement. I know you guys love that. Uh, but we have some really cool stuff going on at Zelda Informer right now. For starters, we're hiring. And I should be air quoting that hiring part because we're a volunteer-based website. The two people here on the podcast with me are volunteers. I'm not a volunteer, but I'm not quitting, so you can't have my job. <laughs> Damn it. Um, <laughs> Damn but we are, we are hiring uh, news writers and editorial writers and we have a news writer and an editorial writer with us right here on the podcast. Technically, um, I'm both. So. And technically, you're both, and you haven't <laughs> written an editorial in a while. Hey, <laughs> I, we, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm not, not going to come it's up with okay. an excuse It's for okay. It's okay. Um, yeah, so uh, that you know, the editorials and news are the bread and butter of what we do at Zelda Informer. Obviously, this podcast has been gaining popularity, and we're happy with that, but it's still kind of a side project to everything else we do at the site. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll put a link down in the description on YouTube or down in the news post on, uh, or the news post, the podcast post on Zelda Informer or anywhere else that we post this podcast. So you can go check out what you need, you know, what we require for you to be here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I won't go into all of that here because it would take up the next hour of the podcast. Uh, in addition, there is also starting this weekend on July 16th, the Zelda Dungeon Informer Marathon. It is starts at 3 a.m. Central, as I said, on July 16th. And it runs through the 22nd. And the final game for that day, I think, is Phantom Hourglass. And that, that final game starts at 2.30 Central that day. Yeah. Uh, you want to also mention that I'm gonna be actually going to yeah. be a part of it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what? You want to talk about it? Because I have not been part of any of the planning for this. So, um, As far as I know right now... Everything you say is right. We, we're going to start at 3 a.m. on, uh, what is it, this Saturday, I believe. Saturday, early yep. Saturday morning at 3 a.m. Central with, I have the schedule here on my phone. Hold on a sec. Yeah, and we're going to start with Masi, um, uh, Masi's pretty much. Yeah, yep. playing um, Phantom Hourglass. And then from there on, we're going on to a bunch of different things. We're going to have... Uh, Phantom Hourglass battle where everybody's getting involved and whoever wins, wins. And then we're also going to have the biggest thing we're having this year is a 10 person Twilight Princess HD um, run. Spe- uh, 10 uh, people. Race. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's one of our big things going to be. Um, of course, we're um, raising money for Child's Play. Now, of course, for those who don't know, that's the um, Penny, Penny Arcade charity where they donate video games to um, child, uh, children's sections of hospitals pretty much so that's what we're donating towards and for me personally this is going to be interesting because i am going to be the only technically the only news writer from zelda informer there is everybody else there from zelda period from zelda informer yeah like it's called the zelda dungeon dungeon informer marathon but it's mostly zelda dungeon with Kristen having to carry (laughs) a whole weight of zelda informer on his shoulders 
Don't <laughs> suck. Look good. Okay. okay. Dominate. Does Massey's <laughs> technically represent us now? No, I mean, okay. So for those who don't know, Zelda Informer is owned by Massey's. I can't even pronounce his last name. Um, and he been. also owns and founded Zelda Dungeon. Technically, he would be a Zelda Informer employee, but he doesn't actually do anything as Zelda Informer, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, um, and he got fired. <laughs> that's not me. I'm not trying to call him out. Like, that's why, he, that's why he has me here. Like, this is why I have a job, so he doesn't have to do anything here. Um, you know, he does do some back-end management of, like, trying to get some ads up and stuff, but... Um, in terms of running the site, he's got almost nothing to do with it. Um, outside of the fact that we no longer make walkthroughs at Zelda Informer, which is a sad day. Um, but Zelda Dungeon does walkthroughs, and he owns both, so I guess that makes sense. Uh, can, I talk yeah. about, can I talk about what games I'm playing? I'm actually Yeah, playing. sure, go ahead. What, what are you playing? What, um, are, what are you going to show people how pro Zelda Informer is at? <laughs> oh, God. Thank, thanks for the pressure, Nate. Thanks. Um... um Day one, I'm playing. Um, I'm, I'm playing Four Swords, not Adventures. Four Swords, the original, I believe, Game Boy Advance version. Somebody's gonna break. Yep, that came with a link to the past. Yep. Then, um, I believe, I'm not scheduled for only Masi scheduled for, but I believe I did sign up for Wanda Gamelon, one of the Zelda CDI games. Uh, and and, and it has Masi listed for it, right? Yeah, it has Masi for it, but I, yeah. I, I've actually asked for it. I'm like, you know, why not? Um, yeah. I think it's just because he had, he's actually played through those games multiple times. Um, and so I think he's like trying to be like, yeah, we're trying to make sure that like we don't look like we're noobs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on day two, I am... Day two is my biggest run. I have Ocarina of Time 3D race. And Ooh. I'm going on against three other people right now. I have played yes, Ocarina of Zelda Time... Yes, Zelda Informer, one on three. This is how we'd like it. My main Underdogs, baby. My main reason for lack of writing your fast few weeks because I've been training for this. <laughs> and the best time I can get right now is under six hours for Ocarina of Time 3D, and that's a pain in the ass. Ooh, that, can that I do glitches pain. or anything like that? I was going to say, you could just I don't it. know. I don't know glitches. I'm not... I, I don't know glitches at you all. You should ask. Um... Ask Massey's if glitches are allowed for that run. Yeah, I, if, I think if they're I allowed, they there there is a couple. But... There's like two or three really easy glitches you could do to skip like over half the game. Couldn't you skip yeah. from like the first Goma battle to the very end? You you can skip to the very end, but yeah, yeah that's a that's a really hard to pull off glitch. You yeah. need a lot of practice. Yeah, I. I'm not. I don't. I don't really use glitches. I'm not saying I you have, want to do glitches. I have I'm just saying that if glitches are allowed, I don't want you to be like the only person not using them. <laughs> From the sounds of it, it looks like I'm probably gonna be second best according, according to a chat I've been on the marathon chat. Oh, I think no, I'm gonna be please, like second please, or third please, best, please. pretty please. much. You're gonna it, be number one. It's gonna I, happen. Because I've been. I'm gonna be going on Zelda Informers Twitter, and I'm gonna be like Team Zi, Kristen, all the way, baby. <laughs> Number oh one. God! Thanks for the. We gotta put those Zelda dungeon people in their place. <laughs> we'll make a T-shirt, and if because you, you know count. we're a news website, we totally should be better at playing the games than people who actually make walkthroughs. After playing Z Ocarina of <laughs> Time six times straight now, I think I've, I'm going to be at the best I can get at that game. Hey, that's okay. Like well, I, you can, know I can actually get through Water Temple without my without notes. <laughs> I can actually get. <laughs> what through else? Water uh, on my what own. else are you playing? Oh, uh, my last game that I'm currently scheduled for is at 5.30 a.m. on day three, I'm playing Link's Awakening. And I have not played Link's Awakening in the original half my or life. The it, it, according to the schedule, it looks like the original. And I haven't, the original? Okay. 
and I haven't played that game since I was like 13. <laughs> Note, um, yep. people listening, yep. I am 28. <laughs> so yep. I have not played that game quite well, and I have to play that at 5 30 in the morning on day three. That'll uh, be fun. Um, there's a bunch of other great runs too. Um, yes, I, there are like I said, I don't. I've I've gotten to know the Zelda and the Dungeon guys over through Marathon Chat. They're all really sure. a bunch of cool guys. They seemed yep. rhymed and ready and smack talking each other too on the chat. Oh, yeah. of course they are. That's how you get the competitive juices going. Yeah, exactly. And um, oh, that. oh, you know, so and, that's and the last thing. The last game, Day Seven, is a link to the past. And apparently, from what I've been told, is it's like a special thing they do, like with Mario Kart special Mario Kart rules, where it's not okay. like where it like it re- like each um challenge represents an item from Mario Kart essentially, sure. and they have to do a certain challenge. I forgot Masis told me about it, but I forgot exactly what. Sure, yeah. But it's yeah, like I mean, I I haven't watched. Um, for those who don't know, the Zelda Dungeon Marathon I think has been going on for two years, maybe three. I think it's been um, three. Yeah, I think okay, so it's been three, and obviously we've never been part of it because we were a totally separate entity. Uh, and even today, I mean, Zelda Dungeon and Zelda Informer are completely separate entities. They're owned by the same person, but they're ran by completely different teams. The money for both sites is completely separate. It's like they're not even related. Um, but the Zelda Dungeon Informer Marathon uh, is extra special because it's it takes a lot of money and a lot of effort to put together very good marathon runs. And uh, Massey's, over the last three years, has been gathering supplies, gathering stuff, and making everything better each and every time. I mean, think about it. There's, there's going to be a 10-person Twilight Princess HD run. That means you need 10 copies of Twilight Princess HD 10 Wii U systems. It's crazy. Yeah, Plus yeah. the 10 TVs. Yeah. What, you need like 10 video capture cards? And that doesn't even include, you know, all the equipment you need to run all those video things together and get mm-hmm. them all up in a stream. Like, it's... It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so, yeah. So, that's happening. That starts this weekend. We're going to be promoting it all over Zelda Informer. You can catch it on ZeldaInformer.com. We'll, we'll have a... The stream's going to be, like, live on our front page. Uh, yeah. Me and Massey are going to be talking about it tomorrow, how exactly we're going to put it on the site. Uh, we, You can find the stream over on Zelda Informer's Twitch channel and Zelda Dungeon's Twitch channel. Yep. Uh, so we'll have links to those two channels. If you want to go down and watch it, we will be streaming to both of them. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. mostly Zelda Dungeon, partially Zelda Informer. Either way, it's going to be a, a really fun marathon. And hopefully one of these years, I personally will be at it because... Massey's where he hosted at his house. I actually don't live that far away from it. I just have kids, and it's hard for me to vanish for those many days. Um, but who knows? It's a lot cheaper than going to E3, so maybe that's what I'll do next. <laughs> yeah, year. I'll go to E3, and you can go to the Zelda Dungeon thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll, I'll make oh, that sacrifice. That's for okay. You, you know, don't worry. My hope is that Breath of the Wild's already out, so there's nothing <laughs> at E3 that I need to worry about. Breath of the Wild um, too. Anyways. <laughs> that's going to about do it. I'm surprised we actually got 11 minutes on that. But, yeah, so check out our Zelda Info- Dungeon Informer Marathon. We're hiring. Check out below to get all the information about that. Um, so uh, there's a few topics from this week that we could talk about. Uh, but one I'm going to bring up isn't really news-related. It's just a nice discussion topic. So IGN... Um, they posted up a video of, or I should say, updated video 
of their top 10 Zelda bosses of all time. Now, Zelda Informer has done a one video on this and I think three articles on this over the years. So we've updated our almost every year our top 10 list. And I don't even remember what our latest top 10 was. I think it's from two years ago. So I'm bringing this up because Breath of the Wild's coming out. And we have overworld bosses already confirmed. Uh, we do not actually have dungeon bosses confirmed yet, but it's a given. There, there's always been bosses in dungeons, so I don't know why we wouldn't get them now. And I wanted to kind of talk about what we think collectively makes a great boss fight in Zelda. Because there's a, there's been a lot of different approaches <clears throat> to Zelda boss fights over the years. So like, you know, if we if we reminisce on what our favorite fights are, like what about these fights makes them so great? that could be applied maybe to future games. Okay, first we need a giant head and then two floating hands. <laughs> oh, and, uh, you know, a massive eyeball that's the Yeah, just, just something that glows that they can hit with a, <laughs> an arrow, and then you're good. Best boss fight. Oh, there you go. Best boss fight ever. Um, no, so on a serious note, let's... Uh, Kristen, why don't you run this off? Like, you know, talk about what a couple of your favorite boss fights are and, like, what you think collectively makes a special fight in Zelda. What makes a good fight in Zelda is that it's not only it's not only one of those things where you can easily pick it up, but also the fact that regardless if you can easily pick it up, it's still challenging. You know, you you know, you still like have to work your you know, you work your ass off. Like the Ganon fight, the final beast Ganon fight in Ocarina of Time, since I'm I played the game six times now, uh, I can easily tell you that yeah, getting to know how to fight Ganon is easy in that fight. But getting to hit him and dodge his attacks is what the real challenge is. Because you can't hit him in the face. You have to hit him in the tail to actually do any damage. And if you don't have the bigger on sword, you're screwed because you're stuck using the Megaton Hammer, which is the is more of one of those short-range weapons to use. So, I yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, uh, same goes for the um, Shadow Temple fight, because that actually challenges you to actually use multiple that's another thing is using multiple items in the in the Zelda boss fight not just the one item you got in that boss you know in that temple or something like uh the Shadow Temple boss was you know you had to you not only use your lens of truth but you also had to use your arrows and oh yeah you use your you have to use your arrows and you have to use um what was the other thing the hover boots so you can just stay afloat on top of the the bongo drums the bongo drum giant bongo drum and i thought that was a really challenging fight cuz because you have to keep on making sure your magic mirrors is good, and you also gotta make sure not to die. Because getting knocked out, I got knocked out once outside, and the guys over online said, "Oh, you can jump back in." No, you can't jump back in. I tried, <laughs> I tried, I died like twice, and sure. so, like I said, it has to be It has to be easy to figure out what the guy can do, but it also has to be challenging to still defeat him. Sure. Um. You know, I, I agree a lot with what you say. You know, I, I like having multiple item uses. I like the fights being challenging. Uh, I think, you know, when I think about my favorite boss fights from the past, uh, I have a really hard time right now getting over the Step Talus fight from Breath of the Wild. And it's not just because it's so fresh in my mind. It's because that, that mini boss fight in the overworld was organic. And I don't mean organic like I'm out in the wild. I mean... It made sense. There are multiple ways to beat this person, beat this big beast, and all of the ways that you can do it make logical sense. 
It's not something where when I'm trying to figure out the fight, um, I'm trying to be forced down a set path, like a one-way path you have to beat it. Like, say in Skyward Sword when you're fighting, what is it, Tantalus, mm-hmm. um, the squid, and, you know, okay, take out all the arms with your boomerang and then hit it and then hit it in the eye and have it fall down and slash, slash, slash away. But so many Zelda boss fights have been that way. Like, it's scripted. It's extremely scripted. And I think the best fights to me are the ones that aren't that way. There are multiple ways to tackle the challenge, and all of the ways actually make sense. As an example, with, with Step Talus, when the thing throws its rock at you, and when it's trying to reach down and grab a new rock arm, well, guess what? It's touching the ground. Why can't you climb that thing to go hit the weak spot? Well, you can in this game. You could also use your various items to you know, make him come down to climb him. You could also <laughs> defeat that boss without ever climbing him at all using nothing but ranged weapons. Like, it's crazy. And, you know, I, I try to think of a, a boss fight that's similar to it, and I have a hard time coming up with a, a lot of things in Zelda because in the past, a lot of my favorite fights have still been heavily scripted. Uh, one of my all-time favorite ones is Kaloctus from Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. Love that fight. Absolutely love it. And I think that actually made IGN's top 10. I think it was in their top five. Uh, And everything I love about that fight, it's still heavily scripted. When you watch different boss fights of that boss, they're all the same. Hmm. There's no... uh, There's very little deviation from the normal way to beat that boss. And I I think, to me, the best boss fights in Zelda um, have one yet to come. Um, I think Breath of the Wild is going to be presenting a lot of interesting new boss fights. And two, uh, of the ones that we have have had, they're ones that have multiple solutions to them and aren't just panned, this is the one way you beat the boss and you just rinse and repeat that over and over and over again. Or uh, or it's like a set, you know, you have to do one thing after another after another, but it's the same thing after another after another. Yeah. Um, because the, a, a lot of times in Zelda, it's just dodge, hit dodge hit dodge hit you know as alfred was kind of jokingly saying before you know it oh two big hands and a giant eye like we've seen that so many times in zelda it's not really original anymore and i don't know that that to me is just a very organic fight that actually makes sense and has multiple solutions and it's something that i can logically come to a solution to outside of the usual convention of this is the only way you can beat the boss and everyone has to do it that way um, and I can already tell in Breath of the Wild that won't be the same because uh, you can go fight Calamity Ganon and beat him um, after you get out of the starting area of the game. And I'm guessing how you're going to have to pull off that victory is going to be different than how you, if you played through the, through the whole story, have the Master Sword and whatever else. And how you're going to beat him then will probably be a lot different than how you would have to beat him that early in the game. Um, so, yeah, it's... I'm... I don't know. To, to me, the best Zelda boss fights have yet to come, but of the ones we have had, they're the ones that have multiple solutions um, and make really good use of the items, not necessarily just a single item use, kind of like what Kristen said, you know, ones that use multiple items. Uh, because variety, to me, is the spice of life, and I love variety in my fights. Yeah, that's all I got to say on that. You I got mean, anything, Alfred? Yeah. The guard, um, the... I'll go on, Alfred. Oh. One of my... Like, I'm... I'm... I love music, so if it has great music, that's mm. an instant like 
favorite for me. Like music I love huge the Mulgera fight. Um, oh yeah, mostly because Good of the music. music. Like when I went to the Zelda Symphony and they played that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is the <laughs> best best thing that they could have done. Um, and I know I talked about this. Uh, I think it was either the last podcast or the podcast before that that I was on when I said that I hated the the goat fight. I'm probably mispronouncing that name from Majora's Mask. <laughs> Because sure, I sure. I just I think awful it's at it. Yeah, God, I'm just awful at it. I'm so bad. But it really is pretty cool because it's something that we've never done before. Like, you have to use ramps to hit it, or you can speed up and hit it in the foot and knock it over. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so many different ways. At least I haven't played it in Majora's Mask 3D yet. I haven't actually played a lot of that game yet. <laughs> but um, in the original, that's what I remember doing. Um, sure. I really like, like you said, the Caloctus fight in Skyward Sword. I'm, I'm kind of looking up some of these because I don't remember the names per se for all of them. Um, I know Star-Lord for me ranked pretty high. Yeah, Star-Lord was really fun. One that I think that um, I we don't think about because he was kind of like a subpar boss. Like, you didn't really think about him a lot. I really like the Girahim boss fights. Mostly because okay. it was like a sword fighting thing. Like, it was something that you didn't really see in Zelda that often because, okay, well... You know, you just slash your sword, and even if the motion control is a little wonky, you still got to, you know... Hey, now. Uh, okay, you, you can't say that it was perfect. <laughs> the The motion control it, in Skyward Sword was not one-to-one perfect all the time. Well, oh, <clears throat> that's a conversation, I think, for yeah, another that's, day. Yeah, that's neither here nor but, there. Um, but I really liked but the, I, the I just want to put fights. one point in. If, uh, if you actually follow how the game tells you how to play... It works perfect every time. And then there's... Yeah, that's there's, all I have to say about it. There's oh, no. one okay. more that nobody likes that I... Apparently, everybody I've talked to about this game hates this boss fight. I don't know why. I love the horseback <laughs> Ganondorf fight in Twilight Princess. Absolutely love oh, that fight. Okay. It's so I, cool. It's it's I, That was probably my favorite thing to do in that game was get to the very end and fight him on horseback. Because, you know, how often do you do that in any of the games? I think it's the only <laughs> game that you do that in. That's true. And it's going to be cool in Breath of the Wild, too. I think too. Princess Zelda mm. had a lot to do with why people didn't like that fight. Yeah. 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 Still, still like, really cool I keep cool thinking of fight. my least enjoyable moments from that particular fight, and pretty much Princess Zelda doing anything. I just... I like... For me, a boss fight, a good boss fight, is something that changes... And I know that this is what they're doing in Breath of the Wild, but changes up the conventions of what you usually expect from a sure. Zelda game. So, Or from, from just what you're typically used to in the game anyways like in um like i really liked and i know that this really wasn't anything special the uh oh, what was his name um there's so many different iterations of goma yeah it's, it's goma <laughs> um in wind waker where you get to swing back and forth yep. and then you pull down yeah. the the roof i like that i like uh, things that are that are just different and weird and, and yeah. you're like oh well this is we've never done this in a zelda game before and that was the first sure. boss you fight in that game um, yep. So that was pretty yeah. cool. I just like, for, again, for me, music and things that change the convention of what you'd expect. Nice. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, so I think that's going to wrap it up for that topic. Uh, bosses are amazing. I think they're one of the best things in Zelda. Uh, so obviously, you know, all of us kind of, you know, we can't wait for see what happens with bosses in Breath of the Wild. Um, but yeah. Uh, and maybe in the future, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give another updated top 10 list with our, you know, latest staff members and the opinions and see how things have changed over the years. Maybe we'll do an examination of how 
um, the shifting of the Zelda Informer staff has changed how we view the series. Um, so we've got about, about seven minutes left here, and uh, we're going to quickly go over a couple topics here. Uh, first one is about Nintendo and the Wii U. Apparently, I don't know if you guys heard this news, uh, people at Nintendo had sales projections of 100 million units <laughs> yep, for the Wii U. Heard that. So wow. here, here's what uh, Tetsu, uh, Tatsumi Kimishima, the current president and CEO of, of Nintendo Japan, said. Uh, in an internal sales representative meeting, someone projected that we would sell close to 100 million Wii U systems worldwide. The thinking was that because the Wii sold well, the Wii U would follow suit. I said uh. that since the Wii had already sold so well, we need to clearly explain the attraction uh. of the Wii U if we are to get beyond that and sell the new system, and that this would be no easy task. So, wow. there's two, two things I take away from this. Um, Nintendo had the completely wrong thinking with the Wii U. Not just in hindsight, just the assumption that because it's got like the Wii brand, that it's going to suddenly be as successful as the original Wii. To me, that's really weird. That's like that's just kind of bad a business. Bad Why idea would you think too. That? I think. Like, how how would you think that? That's almost like saying, oh, because the PlayStation 2 sold 150 million units, of course the PlayStation 3 is going to. Well, and that's even like, weirder because if you think about it, the, towards the like the latter part of the Wii's life cycle, it started doing poorly. Like, yeah. people got yeah, really like, tired. I mean, it's not like sales for the last I mean, two or three years were booming. I mean, exactly. The only reason the Wii took off even in the first place was because it appealed to more mainstream than um, other consoles that were out at the time. It appealed like you can most control, you can play for family, you can do all that. That's how come the sales were so great at the beginning was because, you know, mainstream people, non-gamers were actually buying this console. It was a good, um, you know, we might do a whole episode someday on like, you know, reminiscing on the Wii and what was good and what was bad about it. Uh, but th to me, the Wii sold well, uh, you know, in part because it appealed to non-gamers, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it was kind of an easy way to introduce people back into gaming again. Because I think what happened and what Nintendo saw was uh, around the time the NES came out, um, you know, there was the great game market crash uh, where consoles were not selling and games were just not selling. And there was, you know, thousands and thousands of shovelware titles go coming out. They were overshadowing anything that was good. Um, and, you know, video games were kind of getting a really bad reputation. And then the NES came out. And the NES simplified everything. It made everything make sense with the, the D-pad and the two buttons on the controller. Like, there's just two buttons and the start and select. And start and select don't actually do anything while you play the game. So it's A, B, and a D-pad. And here's some good games. Here's Donkey Kong. Here's, you know, Super Mario Brothers, etc. to go along with it. And what that did is it brought in an audience that probably wasn't playing video games at all. It introduced them into gaming. And then as consoles advanced and technology got better, um, you know, controls got more complex. There were shoulder buttons added, then two, you know, then one joystick, then twin sticks, and four face buttons, and two shoulder buttons. And what happened is that a lot of people growing up that started back in the NES or Super Nintendo era, they got it. They understood the advances. It made sense to them. But for anyone that hadn't played video games before, suddenly trying to come into it was a lot more difficult. And 
it kind of led to where the video game market heading up through even through say the PlayStation 2 era was just basically mostly people who had already played video games before. You were, they weren't really reintroducing <clears throat> families and parents and little kids into gaming. It was all teenagers or 20-year-old plus people um, who had already been playing video games for most of their lives. They weren't really getting the younger generation into it. And Nintendo saw that and they said, look, why don't we simplify this again and reintroduce people to video games? And I think what Nintendo forgets when you do that and this is why I, I'm so confused with their Wii U stance. I think what they forgot is that once you do that, you can't do it again. Eh, like, well, you, you can't like not back to back. You can't go okay. back to back doing that. I mean, I'm, obviously Nintendo did do it again. They did it with the NES and they did it with the Wii. But look at the generation gaps that were between that. Like, the, there hasn't been enough time since the Wii happened to resimplify gaming again. Well, it's, and yet what we have to remember. Is that gaming has already been resimplified? That's what all the smartphone games are. Well, it's That's interesting that you bring that up then, are. because Nintendo basically just redid, like they they reintroduced millions of people to gaming again with Pokemon Go. Like sure, that that's sure that's... maybe. I mean, I, I'm 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 gonna, I'm gonna say maybe because reintroduce would infer that the, everyone who's downloaded that app doesn't already play video games, especially on their phone. And I don't think that's true. That's true, but I think they've reintroduced them to, like, video games that are within, like, a core, like, the core video game market. Like, I really wouldn't necessarily say, oh, well... I I think what they did with Pokemon Go is prove that Pokemon is massively popular, and the popularity of it is potentially held back by the fact it releases on their proprietary hardware. Yeah, and on a handheld, no less. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not me saying I want Nintendo to get out of hardware. No, I don't. I, I think it just proves that Pokemon is that is like that franchise. There's you know there's been an ongoing anime series for it for over a decade. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think it's at 15 years now. So like it's crazy how long Pokemon is and how popular it is. Um, and Pokemon Go is kind of proving that it hits a heck of a lot more popular than maybe even those mainline games sales would would indicate. And it's true. I don't think every Pokemon fan out there buys every generation of Pokemon game. Um, I know I don't. I bought, I think, three or four of the generations out of, like, eight of them or whatever it is. I'm still, um, I'm still playing Pokemon X. <laughs> <I'm> still... <laughs> oh, you got to get with the time. Sun and Moon's coming out. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> well, I bet we'll so, see us. I think that if with Nintendo, because their problem is, is that when they, I guess with the Wii U, what they did, was they at first they didn't really make it clear what the Wii U was. Sure. And sure. that was the biggest problem with that because they announced it at E3, announced it, air quotes, because all they showed <laughs> was the pad and we thought, "Oh, is that another controller for the Wii? Is the right, Wii U right. something else for the Wii?" And then it sure. turns out it was a separate console and then they didn't really market it at all. Like <laughs> the only, the biggest it, reason that the Wii was marketed so well is cuz they had those Wii would like to play commercials. Like, yeah, I'll, yeah. I still those remember those. But those the, commercials were amazing, man. The Wii U had like nothing. There was no there were very few the, the commercials Wii U for it. Had a lot of problems. Yeah. But that's And to me all the problems to me started with this internal sales representative meeting. Because this is obviously before the Wii U came out. Yeah. I, once the Wii U came out, there's no way in heck you can tell me they still projected $100 million. <laughs> um, So, like, they're, they're, I think the Wii era just got them so big-headed, so up in the clouds, that they're like, look, if we just attach Wii to this thing, it's going to sell mil- like millions and millions and millions. Um, 
And what they didn't know, realize is that the market was already moving on from the Wii brand. And it seems here, and this is where I think there's a second point to take out of this, is uh, Tatsumi Kimishima himself said that uh, because the Wii had already sold so well, we need to clearly explain the attraction of the Wii U. Which they, you just admitted they did not do. No, not they at all. They did not explain the attraction of it. In fact, you can argue even today with some games, like even like uh, Super Mario Maker or Splatoon, that kind of prove the gamepad has some functionality that makes some sense in certain cases, um, that uh, it's they still haven't really proven that that today. Yeah. The, the appeal of it. Like Minecraft, and, when Minecraft, sorry to interrupt, but when Minecraft came out, everyone was expecting like the whole inventory screen touchscreen system, and they didn't even implement that at all. Oh, yeah. Of course they which, did, which because that would require a lot more money and a lot more time compared to the sales that we're actually going to get on the Wii U. Yeah, the Wii U itself. Well, and, and consider how old Minecraft was by that time, yeah. and how many of those people already had Minecraft. There really wasn't, and still really isn't, that much of an incentive to buy it on the Wii U. And yeah, I mean, so, it, apparently it it has sold decently well. Yeah, um, but again. Minecraft is just one of those games that like people like having it on every single platform they have. It, it, it's kind of weird how Minecraft works. Like I have to have it on my PC, I have to have it on my phone, I have to have it on my tablet, I have to have it on my PlayStation Four. You know, like they have to have it on every system they have for some reason. I don't really understand it. But then again, I've also never really been hugely into Minecraft in the first place. I've never, um, I've never actually played it. So yeah, like it's yeah. I mean, it, it's an interesting game. I I understand the popularity, especially with kids. It makes a lot of sense. It's the new Lego. Like I'm I get just, it. I'm just it not. Sense. I'm honestly just not that creative. And then they released yeah. Minecraft it, 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 Legos. <laughs> yeah, and they have Minecraft Legos too. Literal Legos. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, what I like about the second point here, though, is you know if we're gonna get beyond selling the new system, and this was not gonna be an easy task. Like the current president and CEO basically laid the smackdown in this meeting. And said, hold up, it's probably not going to sell that because we have to clearly explain it. It's not going to be easy. Um, yada, yada, yada. And this is the guy leading the charge for <laughs> NX now. Um, so to me, just from this meeting, which came before the Wii U came out, it sounds like the guy in charge of Nintendo uh, doesn't have his head up his ass. No. That's a good thing. Like, he, like <laughs> he kind of he gets it. Like he understood ahead of time that what they were doing with the Wii U, they needed to move beyond like what they were trying to do with it to to get people to understand it, and they never did. Um, in fact, it their messaging for it pre-release was so weird. It was something like when they revealed it in 2011, it was this is a gaming console for you. That's the whole like point of the U was like this is like for Nintendo's core base. This is a core uh, video game console. Like this is going to have all the third parties and all the stuff on it. We're going to have the Assassin's Creed. We're going to have the Madden, the Call of Duty, yada, yada, yada. Like they were trying to say that this is a Wii, but it's for the core (laughs) gamers. So like basically what a Wii HD would have been if it had released like two or three years earlier. Um, But that's what they marketed it as. And then by when E3 2012 came around, they ended everything with Nintendo Land. Yeah, Nintendo. And started talking about how this is going to be a great console for families. And then the commercials came out showing well, kids playing commercials. It. Well, like, yeah, two. yeah, the few commercials there were. And it's kind of like they didn't know what they were doing. I, I there's, they should have apparently listened to Kimishima more. And I'm, this kind of quote excites me for the NX because 
Um, I know the NX itself and a lot of going into it is going to be a lot of what uh, the late Mr. Satoru Iwata or Iwata set up. Uh, but the fact that the marketing and everything else is going to be approved by Tatsumi Kimishima actually excites me now because it, to me it looked like before the Wii U came out, he got it and no one else in the room did. Yeah. I think the important um, thing to think about... And now about... he's in a position where he can override everyone else in the room when they're, when they're trying to be like, oh, it's okay, we're just going to slap a Wii name on. He's going to be like, no. No, the Wii name's done. We oh ran it through God. the mud. We're, hope... we're done. Like, well, yeah. like, if there's anybody in that sales meeting that's like, yeah, we got to name this thing Wii something, like... I hope he just looks him in the face and says you're fired. I will dance. Well, they've been my trying liver. to distance themselves from the Wii for a while, and I think yeah. that's, that's and, important. And they also they they just redid their colors too. Yeah. Like they're going back to red, the old school colors. Um, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. We're gonna get to it. We already ran a little over on that. No surprise. I wasn't gonna. We were having a good conversation going. Uh, they're they're also they announced a patent for a new handheld device. Uh, that was a topic I was gonna cover, but uh, maybe we'll bring that up next week. We're gonna move into our fan topics. Um. So we didn't get a whole lot of great submissions this week for fan topics, but we did get an email submission, which, by the way, if you have any questions, concerns, um, suggestions, fan topics, and you, you want to submit music for the podcast, whatever, you can do that at podcast at zeldainformer.com. I don't actually talk about that enough about in during the podcast how to get a hold of us. Yeah. Um, so this person... Uh, I'm just going to use uh, what he said in the email because I'm assuming he doesn't want his actual name out there. Um, so from Mystical Bovine, uh, he's got two topics for us. So we'll just get right into the email. It says, Dear Zelda Informer, like most of you, I was beyond pumped to see what had come of the newest iteration of the Zelda franchise, and I was not disappointed. I was blown away and have spent more time than I would like to admit watching the live streams, reading theories on placements in the timeline, and listening to Zelda Informer's opinions on actual gameplay. I was left with two questions, one being potentially awesome, and one potentially disappointing. First, the bad one. They talked about having 100 plus shrines slash mini dungeons in the game, but every one they showed looked exactly the same stylistically. While they looked very cool, 100 plus shrines worth of the Tron slash Sheikah look <laughs> would get very stale after a while. Were any of you given any indication that these just happened to be the ones they showed and other shrines throughout the vast world will have different themes and styles? So that's his first question. So well, let, let's start with that one. I'll speak first on this because I was the one at E3. Um, yes, all the shrines obviously they showed had that style uh, in terms of visuals. I have a feeling that based on how Nintendo worded things and how my personal hands-on experience went and how the story is going with the shrines, that every single shrine is going to have the same visual theme. Yeah, that's what um, I assume. I'm going to assume that's that the too. impression I got from Nintendo and from my experience with the story of the game. Yeah. Um, and the shrines themselves, the thing to remember is those shrines are Sheikah shrines. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're going to be styled like the people who made them. So that that's the story reason for it. So, like, these shrines, you know, why these shrines exist and what's held within them, we don't know those details necessarily yet. But we do know that they were created by the Sheikah to preserve something. Um, so, in my mind, they have to all be visually the same. Otherwise, they wouldn't be made by the Sheikah in the first place. Um, now, I can understand... Now, I mean, you get some deeper points here about how there could be uh, some stuff 
upsetting about this, I guess. Um, some staleness to that style. I think uh, what's going to get people past that is uh, what they did say about the shrines is that um, as you get more out into the world and get to other shrines off the plateau, the shrines get longer, they get deeper, the puzzles get more difficult, the enemies inside get harder. Um, they're going to add a lot of variety and challenge into the other shrines where you're not going to necessarily get sick of the visual style because it, it, to me it's almost like saying, oh, I got sick of the visual look of the overworld. Oh, like, uh, That's what the overworld is. How, how can you get mad that that's what the overworld is? A good point. Um, as good, long as there's enough variety. That, and that, I think there's going to be plenty of variety in here that I'm not going to... I personally don't see myself getting bored with the style because I think there's going to be enough variety in content. Um, but I don't know. That's just me. I mean, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. A good example of um, uh, aesthetically being the same but being variety different gameplay-wise is the Portal games. The Portal games... Design sure. aesthetically, they're all the same. They're like white rooms. They're pretty much you have to solve the puzzle using your portal gun, and then it's the next room and the next room. But as you go along, they start getting harder and bigger and longer and stuff. So, you know, that's a good example of you know aesthetically the same, but gameplay-wise, is still challenging as you go along. Portal's a good. Yeah, example and it should that. be noted, um, shrines aren't going to be the only dungeons in the game. There's going to be main dungeons too. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it sounds like a lot of what you're going to be doing in this game is in the overworld. So, like, I guess to me, the reason that it doesn't feel like I'm going to get sick of the shrines is because it's not like we're doing 100 of these things back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> oh, of course uh, not. <laughs> we're going to have a lot of visual elements and a lot of story and a lot of world stuff in between yeah. that, to me, at least, isn't going to make them um, feel bad. Like, if you're on YouTube and you're like, oh, let me watch the six, I think it was six total shrines that you can watch on YouTube, um, and someone has it in a compilation video, like, yeah, that's probably, that might get a little boring to watch. Um, but that's not what's happening while you're organically playing the game. Yeah. So. Yeah, but yeah, your portal example is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's exactly what portal is. And last I checked, that's been pretty popular. Yeah. Uh, so as long as they have that, those different challenges and stuff in each of the mini shrines and stuff, it, it, they should be fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, Alfred, you got anything to add? Um, not too much. Like, I agree with Kristen when he talked about Portal. Like, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Um, but how, like, if the aesthetic looks good, and it's, you know, it looks it's smooth. Theme. Yeah, well, like, with the Portal example, like, the rooms, that wasn't the focus of the game. Like, you yeah. weren't like, no. man, these It wasn't rooms, about the look. Yeah, like, these, ga these rooms have to look like, you know, the best design things ever it's like okay this is a room that's white with water at the bottom or this is a room that's a white square figure out the puzzle that's pretty much what i you know not yeah, portal white. in a nutshell yeah, yeah that's, definitely that's what i see that these shrines are going to be like okay here's a black and blue room like black with like the blue electricity on it and here figure out the puzzle get to the end of the shrine like that's that's all you're going to be doing like i don't see that necessarily being the problem yeah and especially if that's because I don't think the dungeons are going to look like that. I think the dungeons are going to be themed differently. Um, oh, yeah. I think the dungeons are going to be part of the world itself, yeah. to be honest. And so. I, I'm, I'm just thinking that the one of the biggest reasons that you would keep all of the shrines the same is so that, like, you associate that color scheme, A, with the dungeon, or with the shrines, and then B, with the Sheikah. Like you pointed out, yeah. they're all made by them. Yeah, so, yeah kind of a... Uh... 
a thematic thing like yeah. where if this is all made by the same tribe then they are probably going to be visually similar mm-hmm. and obviously i think from a design standpoint i mean you could argue that um it made things easier for nintendo to make these because they didn't have to change up the the visual style of each one um but i mean we're talking about a hundred plus <laughs> mini dungeons it's crazy like if they had to make a sacrifice by making a story element that makes them all themed the same, I'm okay with that. That's not... I'm not... When I go to mini dungeons, I'm not going there for the theme of the dungeon. I'm going there for the enjoyment of trying to figure out how to get to the end. Um, it's not like when I go to, say, like the Fire Temple in games. Like When I think Fire Temple, suddenly I have this big visual thing of like what I think a Fire Temple should be, and I want to go see what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a mini dungeon that's just called a shrine... Um, to me, I'm not visiting that shrine for uh, visual like beauty to my eyes. Like I'm not going to a shrine to be blown away by visuals. Um, I'm going to that shrine to, because I want puzzles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because um, so far, all the shrines have been puzzle based. So that's um, yeah. And the thing is, they're optional too. So like, you don't have to do all 100 plus of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure if you do that, you know, maybe you get the Hylian shield or something, um, you know, and, you know, or maybe that's how you get the master sword and you find the, your unbreakable weapon. Um, but yeah, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do anything. You can just do the initial four shrines and go straight to the boss, um, the end boss. So, uh, sorry that I guess none of us here, um, are that worried about it getting, um, stylistically boring, but, uh, Hopefully, our insight into that kind of relieved some of your worries. Um, Mystic? Mystical? Sorry. Uh, So let's move on to your second question. Uh, It says, Question 2 deals more with the timing of the the release. Since Nintendo has put so much time and effort revamping everything we knew about the engines, mechanics, and look, it would be a shame to see this version be a one-off title, especially considering that it will be a launch title for the NX. What are the odds they pull a Majora's Mask and reuse the same engines, models, etc. to create another game within the same generation, whether in the form of DLC or a whole other packaged game? And he notes at the end, also, I enjoy the new format of the podcast way more than the last podcast. So (laughs) keep up the good work. So Um, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I will never slight what Adam and the crew did with the old podcast, but I'm glad that you love our current format. That makes me happy put a lot of thought into this uh okay uh alfred why don't you why don't you answer this one okay so the question is then do we think that they'll reuse the same type of engine and style? yeah will, will, will they do like a quick turnaround um majora's mass style uh game in terms of reusing assets um just to make sure they get out another game within the same generation for nx i I wouldn't expect like and this is a this is a difficult thing because I think the only time that we've seen something like that is Majora's Mask. So we can't be like, oh well based on Nintendo's track record with Zelda games we're gonna see well, a quick. You could turnaround. argue Triforce Heroes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was gonna go into that. I say yep. okay, well we have they just finished like we talked about last podcast, he just talked about um, doing a multiplayer Zelda game with the things that they've learned from Breath of the Wild. So what I can see them doing is taking some of this, like the core engine from Breath of the Wild, some of the things that they learned from it, and some of the like mechanics, maybe the art style, and make a multiplayer Zelda game, um, like a quick turnaround type of thing like that. Because 
uh, Triforce Heroes came out quickly after, not, maybe not quickly, but it came out pretty quick after um, A Link Between Worlds. So then they reused pretty much everything from that game and put it in a Triforce Heroes in a multiplayer way. And so I could see them doing something like that. I don't know if we can expect something, because they're setting the bar really high with Breath of the Wild. Yes. They're they're setting like story high. They're setting graphics wise, gameplay, open world, and so the time that it's taking them to do that with the amount of crew that they've put together is this is probably the biggest game Nintendo's ever made. Um, mm-hmm. And to expect them to be able to do a quick maybe like one to two to three year turnaround on that, I can't see that happening. But I can see them doing something like a multiplayer, you know, Zelda game based on the same yeah, engine. And- yeah, and last week we brought up quotes by Eiji Anomo where he talked about trying to do things from Breath of the Wild in a multiplayer yeah, fashion. Yeah, that's what I was... So. Uh, and I could see them doing something like that more so than doing another, or like a completely new Zelda game. Um, and I I hope that they're going to keep some of the engine from this and, you know, make the next game similar to it. I, I Sadly, I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think Nintendo's going to want to keep this exact engine and this exact art style for whatever the next Zelda game's going to be. I can, can see Can you put them. a percentage on that? Um, in terms of like the if someone's per- like, like the well, chance, what do you think? You know, what's the percent chance that they're going to do this? Um, that they're going to keep the style and make another game. Yep. Um, man. Uh, probably go with a 20 to 30% chance if I'm being honest. Like, I, I don't see them okay. doing... Like, I think that they learned a few lessons from this and I think that they learned that it may not be a good idea to completely create a brand new engine every single Zelda game. Um, but I don't think we're going to see a very quick turnaround Zelda game that's not a multiplayer game, that's not a core title within the series. Um, I just I just don't see that happening. Hmm. Okay, so I, I have a a two-way take on this because one depends on the other so my first take just at face value a majora's mask type of quick turnaround game um personally is something that i would love to see them do uh just thinking right now i would say there's probably a 20 percent chance of that actually mm-hmm. happening because nintendo has to show they're willing to do that again and for a, a console game and they keep showing they want to keep redoing engines and trying new ideas so until they stop doing that I have a hard time believing they're going to stop doing it. Um, one second. Uh, but I can see this becoming more like closer to a 50-50 proposition if one thing happens. If Breath of the Wild becomes the best-selling Zelda game in the history of the series. If it Probably sells not. the NX. If we, if we look at uh, what led to Majora's Mask happening. Yes, Eiji Nomo wanted to do a sequel. Yes, uh, you know, Miyamoto put him on a time restraint, and that led to everything that ended up becoming, you know, the, the game that uh, a lot of people love. And what started all that was Ocarina of Time being the best-selling game in the series at the time. Um, and this is to keep in mind that uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, Nintendo's outside of the Wii, like every generation of home console hardware has sold less and less compared to the previous generation. And that was true for the N64. And the N64 was actually approaching the final years of its life at that time um, when Ocarina of Time came out. And Ocarina of Time still became the best-selling Zelda game. So it kind of proved that when you make a 
awesomely fantastic game that it is going to still sell in high volumes. And I think even if, let's say, that uh, Breath of the Wild doesn't necessarily make the NX successful on its own, because I don't know that today, in today's market, that any single game can make hardware succeed. I think that Breath of the Wild can lead to a successful launch. So say, say like Breath of the Wild moves 5 million NXs. Um, in the first year that's great but if like year two year three year four you know it's only selling two million each year that's that's a failure um so i don't think like a single game can make a console be successful but i think if this single particular game ends up becoming that that zelda game that finally hits that 10 million mark across wii u and nx it finally becomes what Nintendo has been trying to do with Zelda ever since Ocarina of Time and bringing as much of the Zelda fan base together as they can and introducing new gamers in. I think that's when they look at it as, okay, we just made a ton of money on the most heavily invested game we've ever created. Let's do a quick turnaround and let's get a sequel out there. And I think that is a thought process that's on their minds and has been on their minds for a long time. Um, because like for the Wind Waker, they originally were going to make the Wind Waker two before Twilight Princess happened. Yeah. So like, they had they have this in their minds where they they want to make sequels, but nothing has really sold well enough for them to justify turn making a quick turnaround sequel. I think. I um, Twilight Princess obviously is an exception, and this will be what um, can closely resemble to the NX. I believe the combined sales are actually higher than the original release of Ocarina of Time uh, for Twilight Princess between the GameCube and the Wii. Uh, but the Wii was in this unique situation where they couldn't necessarily do a Twilight Princess turnaround game because they had a new controller, and they ha- and like because of that, they were going to try that one-to-one motion control stuff. Um, so I, I kind of think they caught themselves in it where they couldn't really do a sequel just because of the unique hardware transition. But assuming that the NX... Um, in terms of controls, isn't that far off from like a traditional controller, like what the Wii U has, you know, around the actual gamepad area? Like that's a traditional controller. If it's more of a traditional controller, then that means there's less they have to adjust to continue to use it in a new game. Then I could see them, if it sells at 10 million mark, you know, eight, you know, eight, nine, 10 million mark, I could see them being like, look, we invested, you know, a hundred million dollars in this game originally. And look, we made back a billion dollars. Let's invest $10 million with a small team, use the same engine, do a, a, maybe a smaller world, um, maybe a world up in the sky or whatever that's related in some way to the original game. That I can see, and that's like a 50-50 shot to me because they would have a lot of financial reasons to say, look, this game's really, really popular. Let's build on top of that popularity like we tried to do with Ocarina of Time. What I can, um, I can see them doing a 50-50 shot um, maybe not necessarily the same engine, but something I could see them doing, and I've talked about this before, is they put a lot of faith in Grezzo. Um, sure. With, you know, Ocarina of Time 3D, uh, with Majora's Mask 3D. They did Triforce sure. Heroes, um, which, you know, for better or worse, they did Triforce Heroes. But they proved yep. that they can handle games on their own, and I think that depending on how Ever Oasis does... Um, I can see them being like, okay, well, we're going to relegate you guys to doing multiplayer Zelda games, um, and then we're going to come out with a new console release every, you know, one to three years, and yep. then just, like, alternate back and forth. Like, I could see that happening. 
Yeah, I can um, definitely see it happening, yeah. Yeah, totally. like... But that's that's going to take a lot of faith on Nintendo's part in Grezzo as a company. Yeah, and, and you know, in all of this, um, this question, I mean, it's... I think, I think this is something that a lot of Zelda fans want to happen. Because we don't like having to wait five to six years for a console <laughs> Zelda game. Like, it... It's excruciating. It sucks. Um, it's awesome when the end product ends up being hopefully everything that Breath of the Wild is promising to be. Uh, but it's still a really long wait. And I think um, the problem with this question is it, it means getting Nintendo to do something they haven't really done before outside of the Majora's Mask situation. Because um, even like Triforce Heroes... Uh, yes, it uses the same engine, and yes, they ended up linking it to A Link Between Worlds, but if you go read um, all the interviews about it, that's not really why that game exists. It did exist starting as that idea. It was a multiplayer Zelda game, and they were actually exploring several different art styles before they settled on what they already had done in A Link Between Worlds. Um, so Majora's Mask is the only one where they literally said we're making a direct sequel as fast as we can. Well, it did start out as a direct sequel. It started well, out as... Well, Triforce I don't think started out as a direct sequel no, no. either. Uh, Majora's Mask was the DD Drive expansion. Or the, the Nintendo 64 DD expansion to Ocarina of Time. Yeah. That which, never took again, off. again, was an expansion. Which yeah. Which is a sequel, basically, to Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Um, and, like, Majora's Mask is, like, the only game that really ever fit that mold. So, like, to me, until Nintendo, whether it's Grezzo whether it's an internal team at Nintendo EAD, whether it's, heck, Retro Studios, which I know a lot of people would love to see tackle a Zelda sometime. Um, you know, Nintendo would have to do something they have not been willing to do for a long time. Um, and I think a lot of us want to see it happen. I just, we have a hard time putting faith that Nintendo uh, will actually do it. Um, because, you know, they like doing their new things. This is and the NX will be out, and whatever the NX is, they'll probably want to... The next console Zelda will be just like with the Wii. Whatever unique thing is going out with the NX, they're going to want to make it use that more than Breath of the Wild did. Um, but who knows? We don't know what the NX is. So, you know, ask this question again after the NX <laughs> is revealed. Yeah. Because that could change things, too. Because, um, again, we don't know what this NX is, so I, I guess... It's hard for me to predict future games for the NX outside of, like, yeah, of course there's going to be a Mario game. And Pikmin 4, um, hopefully. So thank you for that question. We also went a little over on that. I know Chris didn't get to say much, but Chris is going to get to say a lot now because we're going to move on to our final segment, and that is our favorite thing from the past week, whether it's a game you played, whether it's just a piece of news that's out there. Um, so we're going to get the time to go on that right now. Mr. Kristen, what is your favorite thing in video games this last week? Oh. God damn it. Oh. Um. Crap. There's so much that. Um. I, Your favorite I, thing. I, I. It's so hard. There's so much. It's good things happen and not so good things. <laughs> um. Like, they announced a new Overwatch character today and she looks pretty yep. cool. Um. And what's I, cool about that is all that DLC is free. Mm-hmm. I guess mainly my favorite news has just been all the Pokemon Go news. <laughs> All the like memes, all the news. The about actual people. news or the game? Um, the the game and the news actually both. 
okay. has been like the big topic for me personally. I've been playing for a while now, and it's it's fun. It's even hilarious seeing you, all the news um, online. Just to give our listeners and viewers a little background for Pokemon Go, um, I have heard it on good authority from several different places that Pokemon Go news, just the news itself about Pokemon Go, has been like the highest traffic drivers for sites like Amnesia, sites like Kotaku, IGN, um, more so than the entirety of E3 was. Ridiculous, man. Out of point. Like, obviously, I can't confirm. I I could probably confirm the Gamnesia stuff if I cared, cared to ask the right people. But um, I know Darren still works there. I think he's the one who tipped me off on the Gamnesia traffic. But like, it's Pokemon Go is crazy popular. Like, it is. It might just be another flash in the pan, another fad. But holy crud! But to put it in like, perspective, people thought me, me. People thought me Tomo did well. Pokemon Go is crushing anything we tell ever. Well, to put it in perspective, Nintendo's stock is the highest it's been since 1983. No, so it's not. It's it's it not. It had the highest. It had the highest single day jump okay. since 1983. So, it's not anywhere close to its peak year in 2008. <laughs> it's not. Well, like Nintendo stock is still something like 80 bucks off from its peak. Okay, year. but still, it, it's it's done well for Nintendo. Yes, it's been a huge. And yeah. the thing, the crazy thing is, is Nintendo only is like a partial. They only get a part of the revenue yeah. on this. Um, you know, they did help fund a large part of the development of it too. Uh, Niantic, uh, that company that made Ingress and spun off of Google. So ju- just so people know, uh, Niantic is not actually affiliated with Google. Mm-mm. Just throwing it out. There's a lot of confusion. Like people think Google's getting some money from this. Google's not getting any slice of this pie. This is Niantic, the Pokemon Company, Game Freak, and Nintendo. They're the ones that get all the slices out of this. And Nintendo Slice is probably decently big because Nintendo owns the Pokemon IP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nintendo owns the trademarks for all the Pokemon stuff. And Nintendo helped fund, I think it was like 50% of the development. I think the Pokemon co- company covered the other 50%. Um, so, yeah, Nintendo is getting a, a, a very good chunk of the money, but not all of it. Yeah. But... Even with that, even with that chunk, let's say, let's say of the profit margins, Nintendo gets fifty percent, which would be pretty high. Um, still, fifty percent profit on a mobile game, and Nintendo stock jumped like thirty three percent. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah. I mean, this Pokemon. I, I think they said in the U.S. it's reached seven point five million downloads. Yeah. And in the U.S., it's it's reached like three to five percent of all Android users, and it's already more popular than Tinder. Which, yeah, people can make their jokes about Tinder, the dating app, yada yada yada. But Tinder is a very popular app. More active and than uh. It might, as of now, I I don't like quote me on this, folks. It was on pace to be more popular in terms of daily active users than Twitter I was. About to say that, yeah. And we don't uh, new numbers haven't come in yet, so I don't know if it actually is more popular than Twitter yet. But uh, the fact that it's even getting close to Twitter level, like Twitter's popularity is hugely based on mobile phones. Um, there are people that use it on desktop, but it's it's largely built for mobile phones. It's not like Facebook, which was primarily built for desktop and then ported to mobile. Um, and now I'd argue is primarily built for mobile. But anyways, um, that's crazy. That's why I chose Pokemon Poke- Go. That's why I chose Pokemon Go as the biggest news. Pokemon Go. News. That's a, that was a very good topic, man. 
Yeah, well, like revenue um, no, for in-app no. purchases expected ha- to have hit fifty point two billion. Yes, yes, I have. I played it last couple of days. I only just started catching Pokemon today because I had to run errands and I had to take the local bus. So I'm just like driving past Pokemon, flipping through Poke Stops, spending them really hard before like drive past. They drive past. Uh, I just love the <laughs> stories. Mainly news-wise, I love the stories people been getting. Just the story from it. The okay. stories, like the the um victim thing, the guy who found a dead body, the guy who got sunburned. Yeah, the dead body like, thing was <laughs> crazy. I mean, okay, so. Um, uh, you know, okay. So my my favorite store, my my favorite thing that happened this past week is is Pokemon Go as well. Uh, I only started playing it yesterday, but so before that, I was just following all the stories, and uh, it kind of makes me a little sad that there are people that uh, you know the dead body thing. I think is totally random. That's just people explored the world and they found a dead body. I mean, that sucks. Someone got killed or drowned or something and no one ever found the body till this person came upon it like that that that's not good but what what bummed me out was that parking lot story about how these kids like teenagers got robbed in a parking lot because someone put used like a lure or like a a, a thing where um, it attracts more pokemon to a certain area and uh, everyone that's kind of sort of in the area can see on their phone that there's a lure over there so that Pokemon are over there. So, like, it's a good place to go to catch Pokemon right now. And that uh, that was used as a way for these people to lure these kids in and rob them. Like, that's that's really crappy, man. Yeah. That's... Like, I, I know there's crappy people out there, but... They did man... catch the guys, though. That's the positive part. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it is good they caught... I, but it's still, it's like... That's messed up. What? Oh, by the way, don't use Pokemon Go when you're driving. <laughs> Whoops. Okay, I saw four different people today using it while they were driving. I don't get why people do that. that. Like, it's bad enough if you're texting and making phone calls while you're driving, which you're also not supposed to do. Well, phone calls, I guess if you get hands-free, it's not a big deal. But, um, man. It, guys, like, the, poke, this is a game where... Even if you're driving, like I was driving today, and out of curiosity, I turned the game on. I didn't play it. I just glanced at my phone once in a while. In order for me to play, I would have had to, as I'm driving, stare at my phone and wait for a Pokemon to pop up for like a half second so I could tap him quick. Because if you tap him, you can keep driving. Well, you say half a second, but the the little Pokeball is going to spin for about like 30 seconds before you even get to it. Because it's, oh, it's well, that it's, it's, is my least favorite thing in the game is that well, goddamn you're driving, loading screen. It's trying to track you, and it's you know it's it it's based on your pedometer and your GPS, so it's not expecting you to be running 60 miles an hour. So no. it's not made to be keeping track with the 60 mile an hour moving object no. or you know 40 mile an hour whatever it is. It's made to keep like to be able to keep up with someone walking or running. Walking, yep. yep. And so as you're driving, it's not going to be able to render it fast enough to like you know lock down those locations or um you know get those pokemon or get the data that you need to get whatever it, it has to do the thing that you'd have to do in order to get it to work is every time you saw a pokemon every time you got to a stop in order to be for sure that you got it you'd have to stop you to pull over and well, of course yeah of course and, and that's obviously got its own danger yeah. associated with with it um but i i did notice when i drove by it was uh uh, oh god, a coughing, I think. And out of curiosity, 
I was driving by. I was on a highway. I wasn't going to stop or anything. <laughs> I tapped it quick before it vanished, and I was able to capture it. Um, and I kept thinking... Because I saw other Pokemon along the way. I tried tapping, and it didn't work. So I kept thinking, why are people playing this in their car? Okay, yeah, I was able to pull off a capture on a Pokemon, but it distracted me from driving. I had my children in my car, so I was being a bad dad. Um... <sighs> Don't do that, man. It's stupid. If you really want... This game is built, as Alfred just explained, for you to walk. <laughs> it's it's basically an exercise game. Oh, you know, that's the weird part, too. You're on, I was on the bus, and it's driving at full speed. My guy looks like he's just jogging. <laughs> I, I find that hilarious. It's like, um, when am so I going like, to jog? <laughs> my favorite thing from this week, obviously, is Pokemon Go. But uh, my favorite thing for this past week has been figuring out why Pokemon Go is popular. Because I have the game. Uh, for starters, the game does a very poor job explaining everything. <laughs> That's it is an understatement. It's the least explained game I've ever played. Like before this happened, we were trying to come up with like these these uh, video um, recording things for Skype to try to like record everyone's video, and we were totally failing at it. And Every time you'd load up one of those like those applications, they would be very poorly explained how to actually record a video and how to change the settings. Um, and that's what... It reminded me of Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go explains to you at the beginning um, that there are things in the world and how it shows you like kind of how to capture your first Pokemon. Uh, and that's it. It doesn't explain that there's a store to buy stuff in, which is fine. I mean, I, that's something that is okay, I guess, to discover on your own if you don't want to push monetization. Which, by the way, it's also the top-grossing app right now. Yep. Um, and it doesn't explain anything. What to do... What, what, where, what, it doesn't even tell you there are gyms. Like, gyms are a thing. Yep. Just like like everyone knows in Pokemon, you go to gyms, you, become the, you want to become the gym leader, yada, yada, yada. Uh, or beat the gym leader, and I don't know if you become that is the gym leader. The most complicated thing to do in that game. Yeah, and like, and you, obviously, I understand you got to be certain levels to do it. Like that makes sense. Um, none of that's explained. This Pokemon Go app, you load it up, and it immediately after you sign in, unless you're already signed in, it just loads you to a a, a quote unquote map of the world you're in, and you just walk around until something on your screen pops up you could tap and do and interact with. It doesn't explain to you that there's lures and that you can use them. Um, it doesn't explain bait. It doesn't explain anything about the game. It's crazy okay. to and me that this game came out with such a crappy tutorial. Now, what it does have when the servers allow you to use it does work. Um, I, I think personally, I, I think I've only caught six Pokemon so far. I think I'm level three. And so far, the game's kind of shallow. Yeah, pretty um, much. It depends like, on where but, you are. But like, there's also been news coming out about future features they want to add that don't sound so shallow. So it almost sounds like this is just they want to get the base game out now, mm -hmm. um, and then update it over time with new new features. Which I that's, that's fine. I'm cool with that. That sounds like people are obviously cool with that. That sounds They're like Street Fighter. People. That sounds like Street Fighter Five. What Street Fighter yeah. 5 is going to do right now. We're going to give you the base in February. Then we're going to give you everything else by the end of the year. Yeah, but didn't Street Fighter 5 also charge you for everything else? Oh, God. Don't <laughs> remind me. 
I was going to say, I don't think they're going to charge you to get these mm-hmm. additional features. It's, it's going to be free updates. I don't think That's there's it. anything that they're going to make you yeah, pay for. I, I, I think all their monetization is going to be exactly what it is now because um, yeah. it's working and they have no reason to change it. Um, and I think what's cool about their monetization and like a lot of people think that spending money on microtransactions is a really crappy thing. Um, and for the most part, for most mobile games, it kind of is. But not in Pokemon Go. People are actually happy to spend money. It's weird. Oh, I ran out of Pokeballs. I don't mind spending a dollar to get ten more. <laughs> no. Um, and like it doesn't bother them. Like they're okay that they're spending money. And apparently the report is that all the money being made is coming from a large base of people rather than like a few people spending thousands of dollars. Yeah. And oh, yeah. apparently the game makes it really hard to be a person that spends thousands of dollars. Because what are you gonna do? Have eighty thousand Pokeballs? Yeah, you just gotta like. I mean, there's really no Poke reason to even spend it. Pokeballs. Yeah, like there's no reason. The game encourages you to spend a little bit of money over a long period of time versus getting gaining any sort of advantage by just dropping hundreds of dollars into it right away. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really smart method of monetization. I think I'm treating this game like I treat using the Street Pass my 3DS, where it's like I use it for like travel, mainly just use it for traveling, and then like when I get home, I don't really look at the app for like a few days. That's why. Yeah, I'm- I think it's one of those like okay, so a lot of people I know have been saying it's it's been a good exercise one, like get them out and exercise. And I mostly agree. Since you have to, it's built for walking. It's meant for you to go out and find Pokemon. Um, I think that, um, see, I live out by a lake. So obviously I haven't gone out on the lake yet. I'm sure once I go out on a boat out there, I'll be able to capture some, some more water, water Pokemon. I think I got Poliwhirl already. Um, but when I go out and um, use this, like really want to use this, I think if I'm going to go for a walk, I need to do things like go down to my local park or... Um, go to downtown because out where I live there's some houses but there's not a lot going on I've walked like uh, I think I, I think according to the thing I've walked a total of like two or three miles over the last couple days and I've only caught five Pokemon I caught a- That's a, a, that is not a lot of Pokemon compared to what I'm hearing other people catch now I realize I could use bait and lures and, and increase you know I, I get that but like man it felt like I was walking a lot to get nothing and that doesn't to me doesn't encourage me to keep walking because I'm not being rewarded enough. Now obviously I live in an area where it's not I mean there's there's people that live out here. We have a, we we have an elementary school and yada 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 but like there's not like a high density population. Um so I'm thinking that this would encourage me more, I guess, if um the Pokemon gener- generates uh at a faster pace not just in highly populated areas. Because I noticed, um, I went to the mall, um, and I actually caught three of my Pokemon at the mall in a bigger city than I did walking around my whole neighborhood. Um, and it, it felt weird to me. It felt like they were increasing the spawn rate where more people are versus just having the spawn rate be like it is in Pokemon. When you're out in the wild walking around, it's random. That's true. Um, the bus I took, the second bus I took today to get to where I was going is... It was hanging towards like a, one of those big shopping centers. As as we're traveling along, the, we were into like I think I ran into like six to ten gyms just on sure. one street alone. And yep. you're right about that. It's increased. 
It's like we're more people. Well, the populate. gyms. Okay, the Poké centers and gyms. I understand. Um, the Poké centers are based on like landmarks. Um, whether it would be like a restaurant or statue, um, a piece, of, a statue, a piece of art. Like, like what's really cool. I didn't expect to have. Um, I thought maybe the grocery store um, that's over in my area would might might be a Poké center, but it actually Wait. turns out um, a restaurant three blocks from my house is. Um, a poker center. Fun. And it's the only poker center out on the lake. Fun. So, like I was kind of, I thought that was kind of cool that like apparently that restaurant you know is known enough to be considered like a landmark. Fun. Um, f- fun fact. There's a. St- okay. This I think this is slightly nice to say for work, but there's a strip club. There's a sh- local strip club like I live like ten minutes from, and it's apparently a poke stop. That's awesome. I know. I saw that when my friends posted um, up on Facebook, and I laughed my ass off. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, Alfred, we never really got to you quick. What, what's your favorite thing in the past week? Is it also Pokemon Go? Um, for the most part, it is. Like, I'm going you know, to show a picture on my it, phone. It, it feels like since Pokemon Go came out <clears throat> that there hasn't been anything else well, going on. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I've done in gaming this, this sure, week, too. Sure, sure. Um, but there is a... Off, there's a street called Pleasant Ridge by where I am. It's it's off of a Best Buy, and there's a. I always st- love places called Pleasant. There's a statue, of a toad, and it's called mm-hmm. the Seductive Toad Sculpture, and what? it's a Pokestop, <laughs> and it says this is a statue of a toad in a seductive pose, <laughs> and that was probably the most interesting thing I saw, um, while I was I went to Best Buy yesterday, but. For me, I, I live on a college campus. Right now I'm at my house back, um, yep. not at college. Um, but, like, all, you know, my roommates and I, I think two nights ago, a bunch of friends and I, we went out from, like, I don't know, maybe 8 to midnight and just midnight. caught Pokemon and went around the campus. Sure, um, sure. There are enough people. We have three gyms. We have one at the entrance, one at a pond, and one by where I live. And so all three factions, I mean, right now it's basically just uh, Valor and Instinct because Mystique, uh, Mystique or whatever. I'm not even gonna pronounce it right because it's it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> we're uh, like warring factions back and forth, and then there's a guy that everybody knows on campus, one of my friends, who's um, like always trying to keep control of that. And I, th- I think that's the fun part is being in a place with lots of people, and you can get like I know every almost everyone that's playing. There's so so many groups on Facebook about um, DBU Pokemon Go, um, like or DBU Team Valor, and mm-hmm. Just kind of that community thing. Like, I met, like, five or six guys the other day. I think Sunday when I was playing, went out to the baseball field where the gym is, and we took the gym together, and then we went on our way. Uh, just kind of sure. stuff like that that I really like. Um, yeah, and makes sense. It's Again, like you said, it's in more it's more fun in more populated areas, but it's also more fun when you have people to play with. Um, of course. Like, when it came out, my fiancé and I went out and just went to the park by the house, um, went out and to a Pokestop, caught some Pokemon, and then went back. It was like 100 degrees. It was really hot, but, you know, we got to walk in. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I enjoy is, is how, like, how you play the game and what you can do. But like you said, there's really not a lot of tutorial. Like, figuring out how to fight a gym was the most complicated thing because <laughs> it's nothing like how you play a regular Pokemon game. You have to tap a Pokemon or hold it to release a special attack, and then in order to take over the gym, you have to whittle down the prestige, which can be up to 10,000 to 12,000, 
and you have to get it down each number and then You're you scary have to, me and then you have to take over the gym and then you have to beat it yourself several times to level it up so you can put more pokemon it's it's a really complicated thing that takes forever to do hey you don't want your gym taken i yeah. think this is, this is why i prefer just catching them all right right now that's my rule if i see a repeat <laughs> pokemon i'm walking right past it man i'm well what, what i like too is that like um to me this kind of brings back the gotta catch them all yeah um it's only the original 150 for now. And for oh, now. I mean, it's obviously well wide open. For I hope there's a Hoenn. Like, I just want Hoenn Pokemon. That's oh, all that, I need. But, that, like, that was I'm another a huge... piece of Pokemon news today. Somebody looked into the coding of Go, and apparently <laughs> it, a later update, it will be possible to capture one of the three legendary birds. Yep. Sure, sure. Yeah. I think um, I think it was really smart for them to launch with just the 150. Mm-hmm. Because... I won't say everyone, but anyone who's played Pokemon knows the 150. Even if you didn't play Pokemon Red um, or Yellow, you know, or whatever. Um, I guess I shouldn't forget Blue. I don't want Team Blue getting mad at me. <laughs> um, but I, I think it was really smart because all those Pokemon have basically been in all future Pokemon games. And so they're like Pokemon that everyone, no matter what generation you played, should know. Um, and I think if they had launched with like 700 plus, I think it would overwhelm people. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't see them going that high. I yeah, I see them like at the 150. They'll probably go 151, mm-hmm. um, and get Mew in there. And then uh, after that, I think it's going to be they're going to kind of pay attention to where players are. Um, like if they look at you know say 50 percent of the player base keeps catching the same Pokemon all the time. Okay, well maybe it's time for us to increase it to like. 300 or well I could see them doing um, I could see them doing like generation by generation and in slow increments like we get gen 2 next year or something like that yeah. um, or within the next six to seven months um, I basically I mean I, I, I I'm not looking forward to the day when there's 700 plus Pokemon <laughs> to catch um, I, I might not be playing Pokemon go at that point and and I guess that's a big question for this game uh, obviously it's taking up our entire last segment uh, is you know do you guys see this game as being um, having long legs? Because I think I, I think I know people don't like this guy, but Michael Pactor recently stated Ugh. that he thinks this is going to be like a four month thing, and that's going to die out. And it appears that a lot of people think it's going to die out even sooner than that. I think if they um, keep updating it with the generations and new Pokemon and new things to do, it won't. But okay. if they kind of drop the ball and they're just like, okay, well we've added trading and uh, uh, that's it. But it, they're talking about doing multiplayer battles too, and I think that'll keep the game going for a well, while. Oh yeah, multiplayer battles will be huge. Like if um, I, because not know, only are you meeting people now, now you can actually battle. Like them. if my my plan, I told my friends like I plan on just standing in one spot on campus, and like whenever I lock eyes with someone, walking up to them and battling them, I'm having like, a whole team <laughs> like, of Rattatas. Hey you, yeah, you, you so have you a hat, you just go, twist it back, it's on now. Just just wear shorts and a shirt. It's like my, I wear my, shorts. My team they're super comfy. Of are gonna kick your butt. Yeah. Uh, my my Rattatas are in the top percentage of Rattatas. The only thing is, like, everyone has a Rattata. I don't. <laughs> okay? According to my map, it is, like, the most common thing in my area. And somehow I caught a Poliwhirl, which, based on what I looked at and where I caught him, you were thinking, oh, Poliwhirl, you must have been over by the lake. No! I wasn't anywhere by water. I'm confused. I caught a tentacle in a forest, if it makes you feel any better. At least the coughing that I caught while I was driving was, like, kind of by a gas station. So, like, that kind of made sense to me, I guess. You know, toxic, gas. Okay, I get it. But, like, 
why was a polyworld in the middle of a cornfield? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What logic? Like, I don't get. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> aside from aside from Pokemon my, my complaints Go, about the spawn rates aside, um, it'll be interesting. Uh, Pokemon Go. Obviously, we know that uh, Mitomo did not have long legs. No, it's pretty much already irrelevant. I won't say irrelevant. I'm sure there's still millions of they're, people. That they're use trying it. to keep it going, but it's it's um, dead. It's not. Right. Mi- Mitomo was more like a, it felt like Nintendo's introduction to mobile, mm-hmm. and. Um, Pokemon Go is not part of their te- technically part of their mobile initiative. It's a it's a separate thing, um, but it's it'll be interesting. That's all I can say. I don't know. Right now, it's fun. It's neat. Um, how long is it going to be before I decide going on walks is pointless because I just keep catching the same Pokemon. Um, you know, I know it encourages you to explore the world. Well, I have three kids. I'm not really going to be doing a whole lot of exploring. <laughs> Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it uh, how it works. Like it, I would have loved if this app was out when I went to LA. That would have been nice mm-hmm. to me because I I'm never I never make trips like that. So like, hey, I'm traveling. This is cool, but I I don't know. It, it it'll be interesting. Uh, I think it's gonna have a lot longer legs than Mitomo ever did. It's clearly gonna make more money than Mitomo ever did. Probably already has. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Pokemon's a big name. And for the first time, a lot of people's childhood dreams are coming together. We can kind of sort of catch Pokemon in real life. Other other than Pokemon Go, then? Um, sure. Something that's real not quick. Pokemon related. Uh, recently, like I think two nights ago, or Sunday night, no, sa- Saturday night, I spent till about 3 a.m. finishing Uncharted 4 and what was perhaps the most satisfying ending to a game series I've ever played. That's what I've heard. No and spoilers. Yeah, don't spoil. I'm not going to, but did you guys play Uncharted 3? Yes. No. How? Okay, well, the final boss battle was just disappointing. Um, I don't care what anyone says. It was just a giant <laughs> quick time event where it was, it was so boring. Um, what, was Unchar- what was the Uncharted 3 final battle again? Drake's Deception, you were, you were fighting that the guy that was the, what's her name, sidekick... Oh yeah, um, yeah, that was that on, was bad. On the floating rocks. Oh my gosh, that you was had to just rescue bad. Sully. But Uncharted Four, the best ending to a series. The though. ending, the the boss battle was probably. I I I can't. I don't want to spoil Epic. it for you. It was just so fun. Like I don't think sure. I've had that much fun playing a sure. final boss battle in a long time because it's what I wish Zelda was like. <laughs> it's what I wish. Cool that certain battles in Zelda had been like. And you'll see what I mean when you play it, if you play it. But I'm going to play it, trust me. That's if, what I felt when I played Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, well, if you if you play Uncharted 4 and you get to the final boss, it's it, just imagine that being a Zelda game, like the very final boss, like the last thing you do in the game, aside from the epilogue. Um, that was like what I want in a Zelda game. And it sure. was just—it was just great. Like the story was great. Uh, the characters are great. I didn't know. Um, it was very well written. Of course, it's a Naughty Dog game. It's going to be well written. Last of Us was a masterpiece. Um, so was this. Um, and I highly encourage you guys to play it. Like I'm lucky because my roommates have a PS4 and he bought it for yep. um, himself and I played it. Still don't own one myself. My dad yeah. has it. Once he's fully done finishing up, I'm gonna probably take a <laughs> stab at it. Highly, highly recommend that. Highly recommend the series. Uh, can't say that enough. Uh, how 
great that series is. If you want to see something like a series of games that have that can show the progression of gaming from the beginning of the PS3 to like the last part of the PS4's lifespan, the Uncharted series is is the perfect thing, perfect game series. I, I love the word the last part of the PS4's lifespan, as if the PS4 is done. Well, because we're gonna <laughs> technically the PS4 is done, but the PS4.5 is you know all, all technically that's... the PS4 is not done. Well, no, hell no, it's not done, but. I haven't gotten uh, my Kingdom Hearts 3 yet. Like, even the PlayStation 4 Neo, technically it's not replacing the PlayStation That's true. 4. No, it's not. I mean, like, they're, 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 they're reinventing the PS4. I Scorpio though. feels like more of a replacement than the Neo does. Because Morpheus, I'd say, is, is a new way to play PS4. So they're kind of reinventing the PS4. I don't think it's a new way to play PS4. I think it is. We don't even know what it is yet, but Morpheus? I think it's literally just... It's the VR. Like PlayStation VR, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it, Project it, Morpheus it's, is the it's VR. for VR. Yeah, but like I don't think VR is gonna sell it. It depends on the again. It depends on the games. But again, that's also topic. my lack of. Yeah. I have a big lack of faith in VR right now. <laughs> Based on my experiences at E3, I was not that impressed with VR. Doesn't feel like it's there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe maybe another time we can talk about VR because obviously we're a Zelda podcast. Um, You're totally straight. I, from there are some cool applications that. I'd like to see a VR in Zelda someday. But Link's crossbow um, training too. Alright, so that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Uh, I'm going to end it. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll, we'll give our Twitter handles or whatever else, whatever social media or YouTube stuff we'd like people to follow. Um, I do want to mention one thing. I do. This is another thing I do not mention very often. The Patreon. Uh, we are, technically, this podcast uh, is available to support uh, via Patreon. And a lot of the reasons we're on Patreon is that this podcast isn't technically part of what I am paid to do at Zelda Informer. Uh, it's kind of something I do in addition to I pull long nights um, and in general I want to improve the quality of this podcast so uh, like as an example you're seeing in this video uh, that Alfred is, you know, I believe uses a headset and headsets yep. are wonderful I would love to make him have a professional quality microphone as my co-host I would love for him to have an awesome camera to use I would love to do that for anyone who's going to be part of our podcast long haul um, I would like to increase the production values that we have on this. You know, maybe even hire on a video editor specifically just to edit the video part of our podcast. That's better than me. Um, I would like to do a lot of things with this podcast, and also I want to expand. I, I don't. I want us to have more than just a Zelda podcast moving forward, um, and that's why the Patreon itself is Patreon.com/slash/NintendoPrime uh, because it's kind of an indication of once we hit a certain funding goal we'll also launch like a brand new podcast for something or I, i'll launch i don't know if alfred will be with me i probably we'll will um I, but i i for sure will launch a brand new podcast that's about nintendo and then you know there might be future stretch goals that say oh, maybe we'll maybe we'll launch like a general gaming podcast that's uh separate you know that focuses more on like pc sony microsoft but we'll, we'll bring up nintendo you know when, when it has to but we'll kind of be like hey you want to hear our thoughts on nintendo you know we already have a zelda podcast and a nintendo podcast um but right now it's got no backers, so it's not something I mention very often. Um, it's kind of an aside. Uh, this podcast is going to keep coming to you every single week, regardless of if you give. Um, backers get like early access to the podcast. That's pretty much it right now. <laughs> um, you can get a picture. But we don't of have any Nate backers, so we don't really signed. have any 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 other incentives. But uh, yeah, I just want to bring it up. Like it's something we're looking to do. I really want to improve the quality of this podcast, and I can't afford to really cut out of what i make already to do that so uh yeah that's that happens uh patreon.com slash nintendo prime 
you can support this podcast uh, and future podcasts. Otherwise, uh, you can follow me at Nate Jance on Twitter. Alfred, want to toss yours out there? I'm Full Metal Alfie on Twitter. It's it's how how it's spelled. <laughs> uh, Kristen, what do you got for social you, media? You can catch. Oh, like I said before, I don't have Twitter, but you can catch me around. Z- you can catch me around Zelda Informer. You can catch me at the Zelda Dungeon Informer Marathon next week. And yes, check that out it's this Saturday, baby. Yep, exactly. And of course, you can catch me on my YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/SuperReactionBros. Nice, nice. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the new format. If you're watching this on video. If you're just checking us out on audio, hey, we're still awesome. You're awesome. We'll be back next week. See you guys later. Later. Bye.